Hello, Vineyard. Hello, Vineyard. Welcome to episode 14, season 2. Glad you could make it. It's great to see you, Dad. Good to see you. I always Good to nice be here. chatting with you. So uh, we've got your questions in. Uh, if you don't know how to do it or still confused, uh, is there a link on the church's main website or is it? Yeah, it just goes to Vine, Vine yeah. Press Questions or what you're looking for. Any of our websites, look for Vine Press Questions or, uh, you know, the, um, uh, that's the, the easiest way to do it. Or go to the Bible Institute website. It's right on the top header. And we're, we're getting closer and closer on the new app and website. It'll be much easier to find that. But it, you can find it if you need it. All right, so uh, we'll jump in with our questions and we'll get started. Uh, this first one says that this person can't help but be encouraged by the beginning words of Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, that our Abba will send his son back to us when the time is right. Can you talk about what this set time or fullness of time means? All right, so the, you know, the first coming of Jesus, you know, that's... It was a big deal, right? We just celebrated it, the Advent, and all that it means. And uh, uh, the fullness, at the right time, at the perfect time, at the point in time in history when, when God would willingly come uh, in flesh and um, live the perfect sinless life and then at the cross take on all the consequences of the fall, everything. And, and, and he would do that for all that had been done and all that will be done, he took it on at that perfect time. That was just the moment in history when that was going to happen, when God came and, and did that at the cross and then took it all down, defeated death, rose again. So um, that was the, there was a time set for that. You know, that was all part of the, this plan that, that was in effect. And so it happened at it, it Advent. And, you know, I always think about, too, the, I like to look at the feasts uh, of Israel that they were called to celebrate and how wonderfully Jesus fulfills them. Um, and there's seven. And I've gone in this discussion before. I'm not going to do it now. But, you know, you know Jesus perfectly fulfills the first three um, down to the celebration day and everything, you know, with the cross and the, and the breaking of the bread and the, the first little fruits harvest, um, uh, you know, and, and all of those perfectly fulfilled. And then uh, 50 days later, Holy Spirit fulfilling the fourth one at Pentecost, uh, and now we're waiting on, you know, five, six, and seven, and the next one is trumpets, and we're waiting for um, the return of Jesus and, and the judgment, and then the tabernacles, you know, that time when ultimately heaven and earth, meet, everything happens again. So um, all that's happening. So it was just the, the, the time when that was going to happen, and it happened, and because it happened, we have hope that all the rest of the amazing promises are coming, and we're just waiting on them. Awesome. Next one. Uh, do you think, Matthew, chapter 24, verse 36, this is the verse, uh, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only, is also referring to a set time when God will send Jesus to earth for the second time. Uh, this chapter is full of horrible things happening before Jesus is returned. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. There is a set time when Jesus comes back. And so we're waiting on it. And uh, nobody knows the time. Um, and, and you're right, there's a lot of horrible things in the chapter. And it's a picture of a fallen world. And, a, and there's horrible things happening every day here on this planet. There's, they've been happening for 2,000 years. That's uh, absolutely true. There's wars, rumors and wars, catastrophes. And they've been ongoing. Um, and, and they happen everywhere. It's the result of, it's the consequence of the fall and sin. And everything is happening 
in the world. But there is a set time for the second coming of Christ, the, uh, the parousia it's called, uh, which actually means presence. Um, and, you know, he's here in some way, but the actual return when the stuff that we're always talking about uh, happens when, when Jesus comes back. Definitely a set time. Um, uh, when you read the scripture, it's, it's a time only the Father knows. Part of that reference would be about, um, it's, it's tied back into the marriage rituals uh, the, uh, in the, you know, culturally happening at this time in Jesus' time in the Jewish cultural uh, marital rituals where uh, a marriage would be, um, you know, oftentimes they were arranged, but, but if they weren't, you know, a, a man would see a, a, a woman that he would attracted to uh, and um, usually he would go to her house, her father's house, uh, and he would let the father know his intentions if she, you know, and um, and then he would, uh, if the father agreed, he would um, take a, a glass, so he would have a glass and a flask of his own wine. He would he would pour a, a glass into the uh, you know wine into the glass and set it on the table, and the potential bride would be brought into the room, and um, the intentions would be made known. And the way that she affirmed or denied that was if she picked up from the glass and drank. Uh, and if she if she wasn't into it, then it didn't happen. She didn't drink from the glass, and it was a none deal. She she had a definite uh, involvement in that in the thing. So, um, which brings in a whole lot of the communion and stuff that we understand. All of that's happening in there, the proposal and everything. Well, if she did drink from the glass, then they were basically betrothed, um, and. Uh, and then um, the man would go back to his father's house usually and he would make a place for uh, he and his new bride to live. Uh, and until that happened, um, they, he couldn't come and take her back as his bride. And uh, so he would go and he would begin to construct and build on the father's house, a house for, you know, a rooms for him and his wife and family. And he wouldn't, this, the groom wouldn't determine when it was ready because... The joke is he'd be so anxious to get his bride, he'd throw down a sleeping bag and say, let's go. Yeah. So the father was in charge of determining that. And only the father knew. And the son would have to show the father what I've done. The father said, no, not yet. Get this, do this, do this, do this. And then when the father said go, the son could go and retrieve his bride. And that usually came at trumpet sounds and all kinds of neat stuff happening. So there's all these pictures that are going on in that point in time. So um, only the father knows when the return is coming, but... Uh, but yes, it's absolutely happening, and there is a time, but we will never know. Uh, and I don't think we can. I don't think it will reveal to us ahead of time. I think only the Father knows the time, and um, and it, and so and it can happen any time. So we need to be living that way. It could happen. It could happen before we finish this podcast. Could could, uh, or it, you know who knows? If we've been living. The church has been living in the last days for two thousand years. Well, if it does happen before we end recording, hopefully somebody can press stop recording. <laughs> I don't think we'll care. <laughs> Won't be our problem anymore. Oops. So, you know, the, people ask me all the time, is this the last days? Yes. But it has been for 2,000 years. <laughs> so, I mean, don't get, you know, yes, absolutely. This is the last day. Jesus is coming back. And uh, and then they'll go, well, isn't there more things? It's, it's always looking like he was coming back. Every generation has believed Jesus was coming back. And we're supposed to live that way. So, it's a great question. All right, next one. How does being adopted into the family of God, as mentioned in Galatians 4-5, differ or is like being grafted into the family of God, as mentioned in Romans 11:17? Yeah, I think it's just pictures of the same thing. 
Um, so, you know, the grafting process would have been something farmers could have related to. And, uh, what, you know, uh, what a master gardener would do, would, would he, they would graft together two plants and uh, they would become one plant. But they would hold certain characteristics of each plant, which is pretty cool. And, and so together they made a better plant. And, and so, like, and if one plant was, uh, and, and this is really true of vines, you know, the vineyard and the master gardener and everything. And if you ever get a chance to go and study vineyards and the people that take care of vineyards and how they work, you really should because it will open your eyes to a lot of things. Um, and how, how long they live when they're tended to is crazy. And how they graft them into so like if a if a vine has got a bad root system, they can take it and graft it into a vine with a good root system, and the whole thing comes back. It's it's just fascinating. So I, I just, it's another picture um, of what adoption looks like. Uh, that that verse that you're talking about, Romans eleven seventeen. Uh, some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off, and yet and you Gentiles who are branches from a wild olive tree, have been grafted in, so now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the fruit of God's special olive tree. So that's the, the picture in the verse that you were talking about. And I, I think it's very synonymous um, with the idea of uh, adoption. Ephesians 1, 5, and 6, God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. It gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. So we're, we're grafted in. It's the same idea. We're adopted into the family of God. Um, it's a process initiated by the father, the master gardener. And, and you know, we're very blessed because it happens. And so, uh, you know, even in our, in our dead state, he's able to graft us into a living thing and in Christ. And that's how amazing all that is. So it's a, it's a wonderful picture. But yeah, just, uh, just another way of looking at the similar sort of thing. Awesome. Moving on. Next one. Do you think that the Egyptian little g-gods, uh, which the ten plagues specifically targeted, were actually powers or evil forces? Or were they just sort of silly, fake things? No, I'm, I'm powers. Um, evil forces, yes. I believe that. I, I believe that a lot of that. No, and people would disagree. And I, that's okay if you disagree. Don't uh, you know? Let's as long as we love Jesus and we're good. Uh, so, and so if people think about it differently. That's fine. But yeah, I, I absolutely believe there was these um, spiritual beings that chose to go in their own direction, and um, these are the same sort of forces. So they weren't they weren't fake. They were they were real. They just not God. But they're, they're spiritual beings. They're, the scripture, scripture's funny in the Old Testament. If you do a study on the word Elohim, it's a name for God, and he is the one Elohim. But they, these other spiritual beings get that same name, Elohim. But they're not all powerful like God. But they have spiritual um, powers of sorts. And those are the beings, those same ones that they worshipped in Egypt, unfortunately are still running the world. You know, the... the Little G God of the air, the, the, the prince of the air. That's all the enemy is. And, the, and you have to look for the enemy behind systems because uh, that's what he's operating in. We have a tendency, I've talked about this a lot, to try and flesh it out. And so we, we get focused on flesh and it's blood. And it's not. That's not where our battle lies. It's not people. That, 
the um, people who disagree with you and stuff. That's not the, where the battle goes. It's behind that. It's the system behind that. And, and that's this evil influence. You also have to know that, that God has come and dealt with it in Christ. But the kingdom, so people get frustrated because what they want, what people want is when there's a problem, they just want it blasted out of the way. That's what people want. They want it quickly, right? You want to put oh. laser blasters up and We gone. want to avoid friction at whatever cost. Because we always target, you know, legal, what are your laser targeted uh, something or another you talk about, you know, just to deal with problems. And, and if you think about it, that's what the people wanted, right? That's what the disciples wanted. They sure Jesus were going to come and overthrow Rome. But Jesus came and, and he doesn't. But he does. See, the, the kingdom of God comes, and what it does is it's not this big power trip. It's beatitude stuff. It's the, the broken come and get healed, and they begin to love people. And as they love people, those people get healed, and they begin to love people. And it's a change that happens outside of that other system. And that's what the church is supposed to be doing. That's how we make a difference. We come in, we get, we get, we get to Jesus. He begins to heal us. We begin to love people well. That love changes people. They come in, and they do those things. That's how, that's how we're to impact the world. But we want it quick and easy. We want it like this. We, we keep thinking everything should be like that. We're just going to go in and blast them up. Why doesn't he just go in and blast them all up? It's not how the kingdom works. And, and so the kingdom is here. It's not fully here. And, and, but it's here and it's operational and it's, it's more powerful than all the other systems. Um, and yet those other systems are still around. But we, see, we get off track and we don't. We're not dealing with the other systems. How are we supposed to deal with them? Weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty for pulling down those things. We need to be praying, and we need to be loving people. That's how we do it. That's how we make a difference. And so we kind of have to get on that track if we're not already on it. That's how we make a difference in the world. Great question. Great questions. Uh, next one. Uh, this person understands about oxen and yokes, uh, but can you explain what Jesus meant when he said his yoke is easy and his burden is light? Uh, found in a Matthew 11:30. Yeah, so, well, you, you know, if you understand about yokes and oxen, you know that the primary thing was that uh, a yoke would team up a pair of oxen so that they were sharing the burden, and typically they would they would team up um, a more experienced oxen with a younger oxen, you know, young, strong, but didn't know the ropes yet, and together they would do it, and the more experienced one would be able to teach and train the younger one how to do it, and not just you know, brute force. Because uh, the older one had learned over time that this way, well, that's our picture. We're yoked to Jesus, and we need to be doing this thing with him. And when we're doing it with him, it feels different than when we're just taking it on ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean it's not difficult or hard or any of those things. It just means there's a different, it feels different. When, when, when you're doing this thing, walking with Jesus, yielded to the Spirit, it feels different than when you get out there and start doing it in your own strength. And and that's the idea. So it's there's a there's a definite um, there's a lightness to it. Not that it's not difficult. So I want to be careful. You, there's a you can get you get a sense that what you're doing, even if it's hard, Jesus is with you and for you, and He's helping you through the process. So great answer. Next one. Once a person is adopted into the family of God and they receive the promise of God's inheritance, is it possible for that claim to ever be dissolved? Was so that Arminianism versus Calvinism there, or what? That yeah, bit, no? it's a you know that's more about how we get in. There was another question that came in late, that's similar. 
I've just got into my notes at the bottom. It says, you answered a similar question last week, but looking at Second Peter 2.21, if a person has been saved, baptized, and acted, or at least appeared to have changed, but then they turn back to their wicked ways, will the Holy Spirit leave them? Um, are they still redeemable if they repent? So, here's the thing. And people, this is a good question. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a tricky one to answer. So I, and, and if you go back and read those verses in Second Peter 2, if you read 20 through 22 and those kind of things, the idea is, um, Peter was asking that, and if you're, look, listen, if you're um, listening to me on the weekends, Paul's asking Galatians, same thing, why would you want to go back? Once you've come to know the Holy Spirit. And yet it's a question that he needed to ask because people were thinking about it. Why? Well, there's sometimes there's something about rule following that looks more appealing than plugging into relationship. I think that's part of it. Um, in the case of Second Peter uh, and what's going on there, there's all these false teachers that come in and they're starting to tell Christians in effect... Uh, and we'll be looking at this when we look at Galatians uh, 5 this week. That because they're not under the law, they can do whatever they want. And in fact, they should. That that they should be indulging the flesh all that they want. And so Peter's addressing some of that. So that's never what's intended. And Paul's uh, going to address that too and say, because you're not under the law doesn't mean that there's no sort of moral compass. It means that now you're led by the Holy Spirit. And vocationally, we're supposed to reflect the image of God. And so... It's about being more human, not less human. And those, those works of the flesh are dehumanizing. And, and so we'll, we'll talk about that more this weekend. So I'm just kind of going around the question. You know, so if you've come to, and you're walking with Jesus, you know, if the, if the question is, uh, well, will sin dissolve it? That promise in relationship. I hope not, because I got some big issues. <laughs> I don't want to have them, but, you know, it happens, right? And so, or, or, you know, what kind of sin, perhaps? And there's another question later on that we can talk about a little bit. Can people walk away from it? I believe they can. What does that mean? I'm not sure. Can they walk away and come back? The problem is, if you experience Holy Spirit, how can you walk away? And if you can, then you've made it something else, and I... It must be pretty hard to come back. So, uh, I don't want to go with absolutes there. But, uh, you know, I don't think... It, it wouldn't be coming from God our way that is cut off. It's our it's us saying, okay, we don't want you. That that could go in there. Um, but it's a it's this relationship. Now, are there people who might... So, th- this is the discussion. What does it really mean, you know, to, to be saved? Well, if somebody prays a prayer, is that all there is? That starts it. Um, but but then you have to live it out. I, you can't say it like fire insurance. I mean, you have to say, I, Jesus, I, I want you as Lord and Savior. I want to be in relationship with you, and I'm gonna I'm gonna stay in this relationship. I'm not gonna do it perfectly. It's not a works thing, but I have to want to be in relationship. Uh, and you know, so because some people will go there where they could just pray their prayer and then live however. No, they couldn't. Not that they mean it. You can't. Once Holy Spirit comes in, you can't just keep doing what you want. Um, and and this relationship. So. So I'm answering your question by kind of saying, you know, think about some of those things and how they work together. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's, uh, it's something easily walked away from. And I don't think God walks away from it. I think, you know, could people? Sure. I guess. But, but why? Why would you? You know, that's 
just deception at such a high level that hopefully people get it and don't. All right. Uh, next one. Do you think we know when we move from apprenticeship to partnership? Referring to my discussion about Abba Father. Um, no, because you're always both now. So when, when, when you ask Jesus to be Lord and Savior, Holy Spirit comes to you, you're immediately involved in a partnership. Um, and, and so you're, you're constantly being apprenticed and you're constantly being sent out to go and do and you stay engaged in the process. And I don't know that we ever completely um, finish our apprenticeship on this side. We're always in that thing. We need, we need him desperately. We need God desperately to do those things. And yet, immediately you're involved in the, in the stuff, in the vocation. You're reflecting the image of God. You're, you're being ambassadors for Christ. You're telling others. You're doing the thing. You're serving. You're loving. You're all those things. So I think um, I don't think there's a clear sort of transition that happens for us. We're both, uh, which is a wonderful thing. Awesome. Uh, here's a good one. Uh, this person remembers you're saying if you see a pattern in the Bible and then it changes suddenly, it means something. Uh, such as in Genesis chapter five, where all the begots—that's you know this person had you know these children and. Uh, where everybody was way over 100 years old when they started having a, a son listed in the, the passage, until Enoch reproduced earlier and died earlier. Uh, they were reading Genesis 11.10 and 11.12 uh, when Arphaxad, am I saying that correctly? Uh, I'll say yes, it with confidence. Arphaxad, uh, yes, say it with confidence. 35, and everything seemed to change and shorten in terms of human life after that. Is there something more to learn there other than human life seemed to shorten then? Things were changing in Genesis 5. Um, Seth is born in the image of Adam. It's a big change. So that says something. Um, and and you, you can go back and read that, but there's a definite shift there that happens. Um, and then, so some people will say, because there's some verses in Scripture like Genesis 6.3. It's in that same area. It says, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he's mortal. His days will be 120 years. So some people think at that point God came in and limited people's lifespans to 120 years. And I'm not sure that that's what that means. I have more of a feeling that has to do with when the flood's coming and uh, how much longer he's going to contend with the evil stuff that's going on at that point in time because there's a coming to a, a, a point where that's going to happen. Uh, and then there's another passage in Psalm 90.10 that says the length of our days is, this is the psalmist saying, 70 or 80 years. If we have the strength, yet their, their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. And so people have often taken those things and said, well, he cut them down to 120 and then he cut them down to 70 or 80. But I don't think that's what the scripture says. I think what you're seeing is the consequence of sin and fallen world. And we were, we were created to live one way and sin destroys it. And so... You start to see the effects of sin, and so you, you know, you watched um, the population go. The length of lifespan went way down. Right, not that many years ago, people lived to be thirty or forty, and something would take them out. And now, because of you know medicines and those kind of things, you see people living longer. And some people, we still have people that live. I know they've had recorded people living over 120 here in my lifetime. Um, you know, so. So people can live longer, and we've got a lot of people doing better than 70 or 80. Um, so I think what you're seeing is, as the generations come, you're starting to see the consequences of and the fallout of sin, the brokenness of the world that took place 
and um, and it's just starting to have its effects. You know, they weren't there before, so people lived a lot longer because those things weren't there. You know, disease and all the mess that came with sin and brokenness wasn't happening. But once it happens, it begins to happen and changes their lifespan. And you know, they were living so long. I don't. They, you know, it looks like they weren't rushing to have kids. Although that's where the genealogies start. They could have had kids before and after that. Uh, you know, so so all those things are going on. But good question. Interesting to think about. Uh, here's another one. Did all the people who died in the flood go to hell? <laughs> Good question. Yeah, I don't remember reading anything that says one way or the other. So, what happens with unbelievers when they die? You know, that's how you answer and, and But that's one of the questions that people will ask and get mad at God about. Well, how could he just wipe out a whole race? Uh, and what does that mean? And some people think, well, then did they all go to heaven? So, so I'm gonna let me say some things, and then you can you can pick out what you want from it. So, if you go and read Luke chapter 16, there's passages in there where two guys die, and one is in bliss, and one is not. One's in torment, and and yet he's fully conscious, the one in torment, of who he is, what's going on, and that he's missing something, and. That it's not good. Um, so, so there is that idea of something where unbelieving dead go. And then, and then you go into Revelation 20 and you get to the throne of judgment. And then, then they're dealt with forever. Um, do those people get another chance? No, I don't think so. It's appointed for a man once to die and then the judgment. So it, it's just too late. But And how... How quickly does all that happen? You know, we're not, I'm not sure how you experience time outside of what we know. But God obviously can deal with things outside of time. So, what happened to them? Well, you know, uh, what happens now to people who die when they, when they don't believe? I ask that question. We have people dying of things, you know, natural disasters, pandemics. Um, is, 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 where do they go when they die? So, you, so people get upset about the answer to those questions. Um, but I think we get, so people get mad at God. Well, how could God be like, loving God be like? Let's, let's first remember that when God set up the system, sin and death came through the enemy. It wasn't there. God said, don't go and eat from that tree because it will introduce a power that's not available right now into the world. You don't want it to happen. But they chose to do it. What was that power? Death. Their sin, sin and death. That was the enemy's power. So, so that's... First off, make sure you get focused on where the issue is. Then another thing that I, I like to think about is this. Some people go, well, everybody should go to heaven, right? God's a good God and a loving God. But if you don't, if you don't, so God gave you choices. That's the amazing thing of God. Everybody got choices. I've talked about human families and spiritual families and how the greatness of God is that he lets us choose. He didn't want people who, to be in relationship with him who couldn't have a choice because that wouldn't be... None of us like having anything forced on us. That's a, we don't like it. And, and so he didn't want any of that to happen with his human family or his spiritual family. You have choices. So everybody has a choice. Well, would it be, um, if, if, if God's not your choice in this life, why would he be your choice in the next one? That's the whole thing. You know, it's, and so I always see is 
not God sending people, it's God honoring choices. He, and that's God. That's the goodness of God. That's the greatness of God. You have choices to make, and he'll honor your choice. Is it his heart that anybody would be? No. He's done everything he could so that everybody could be reconciled to him. But everybody has to make that choice. And, and so if they choose not to, and, and people do choose not to, then, then he honors that choice. But I, I, we need to, the, the way people look at that is they try and make God out to be this big, he's, this, he's not, it's not God's heart. In fact, God so, so loved the world that he came himself to do it for us. You know, I, I don't think people get that. God is a lo- the love that he demonstrates, the whole thing is about the love of God. And so uh, we have trouble in our finite minds dealing with concept. Well, that seems a little harsh, you know, wiping out everybody on the planet. Now, how many, I don't know how many people there was on the planet at that time. I mean, you know, it's fairly new. Earth, humans, um, beings, and Genesis 6, right? I mean, there's only so many generations that it happened. So, uh, and, and, you know, so we have trouble. We have trouble coming to grips with some of that, what that looks like. But... Um, so, you know, go read Luke 16 and look at what's happening there with unbelieving dead. And then read, you can read the judgment stuff in Revelation 20 when that's coming, you know, in the, in the future. And, um, and then determine where it goes. But for me, the answer is more of, of trying to, people will use that as an argument to say, well, God's, God's not good. And it's, it's not true. God is uh, amazingly good and that he gives us choice is huge so that we're not forced into anything. Because for some people, being forced into heaven at the end, it wouldn't be good for them. Because they, they, wouldn't, they didn't get a choice. But they really did get a choice. So it's not a... It's just it's how you look at those things. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, we got a couple more questions. Why do you think that people sometimes ending up needing more than one exodus before, before truly living in the freedom that Jesus has bought? This tendency seems to mirror Israel when they complained to Moses and wanted to go back to Egypt after already being delivered. There's a tremendous pull in the familiar, even if the familiar's bad. And, and you see that with people a lot of times. People will grow up in a bad situation, and as kids and as adults, they'd be drawn into those same situations all the time because there's something familiar about it. Um, so, so, you know, it's, a, it's learning to trust, really, that God is good and that God's got you, and even in those hard things, rather than, well, it used to be better back then. You know, people still do that today. Oh, it was better 20 years ago. It was better 30 years ago. It was better 50 years ago. Uh, they, same things happening and different fears back then. And um, sometimes it just takes a while to sort of figure out how amazing it is to live in the freedom of God. And what that we'll be talking about that this weekend as well. And so yeah, you see it that's why I don't I don't ever look at the Israelites and go, oh, I can't believe that. They just saw the, the Red Sea parted. How can they how can they doubt that God I get it. I see God move all the time and can start to doubt him very quickly depending on circumstance. And so that's, you know, just part of the issue we have. So uh so yeah, it it happens, it takes time. Uh and I, I think that we over the course of our lives, walking with Jesus, we learn to trust him more and more and more. We trust God more and more, and that's what he wants for us. And so, um, it's, it's kind of in that area, learning to trust God. You know, during the whole Exodus time, God was trying to teach his people to trust him, right? That's how he provided for them. And, you know, little things like um, with the manna. Go out and get enough for the day. And on the, you know, on the weekend, get enough for two days. 
Sabbath. Uh, and don't worry, I'll take care of you. And, and, and so what a, a lot of them couldn't hear that, so they went out and gathered all they could. And then everything that they couldn't eat got maggots and went bad in it. Uh, except for the day he's hooked, get a double portion, and it'll get you through. And then it always stayed good. What was he teaching them? You can trust me. What, uh, you miraculous water. What, you can trust me. I got you. Even in the desert. Why did they go into a desert uh, before they got to the promised land? It was all trust. I, I will take care of you in the desert if you trust me, if you let me. And so that, that had to happen really before they could ever sort of embrace the, how good the promised land really was going to be and what it was all about. Awesome. We got one more question. Uh, what is meant by First John chapter five sixteen through seventeen? And my notes don't have it, so hopefully I do. Your notes. Have if it. anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray, and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. So that's one of those scriptures that it's a good question. People ask that. Um, Uh, if you look in Mark 3, it says something, uh, I'll tell you the truth, all the sins of blasphemy will be forgiven them except for blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And so, some, uh, so what a lot of people get worried about is they've, they've committed the sin that leads to death or they've committed the unpardonable sin. What is it? 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 Because I think I've done it. That's, a lot of people get there. My understanding of that is that, and I've kind of been touching on it, is that the... The unpardonable thing is not to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and not to receive a Holy Spirit into your life uh, as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance and that there's no coming back from that. So that's what has to happen. Uh, and so, the, you know, to, to not receive Holy Spirit, not accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that would be sort of the unpardonable thing, the, the sin that leads to death, the, the, the thing that you do that, you know, you, you don't want to do. It can't be undone. So, um, so that's what happens. And, and uh, you know, because people go, well, I've done this sin, I've done this sin. Listen, even as believers, we all are still not living this thing 100%. And, um, and yet, you know, God, God in his mercy sees us in the perfection of his son. And Holy Spirit is able to continue to work with us and stays with us and helps us and empowers us to, you know, be sanctified, to, to grow in this life and to... Um, be changed over the course of our lives, the renewing of our minds, and not continue to do the things that we once did. So, so that's what I, I believe is at the heart of that whole sort of situation. And um, I hope that answered it for you. Awesome. Great questions, great responses. Uh, we got Keeping Step Part 9 coming up this weekend. What should everybody read to get ready for that? Galatians 5, uh, fascinating the end of it. I'll read the whole thing, but I'll be talking mostly in the end of it. And uh, um, I think there's some fascinating stuff in there. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit. So, and to me, it's uh, we've settled in now. What, it, what does it mean to be the family of God? And now, what does that what does that look like? How do we live as a family? How do we live as the humanity as God intended us to be? That's what happens in Galatians five. And again, part of the struggle will be. It says at one point, if you live by the Spirit, then you're not under the law. And where people have taken that is, well, then I can do whatever I want. And absolutely not true. Because ultimately, we're to be ref our vocation now is to reflect the image of God into the world around us. And so it's not a, uh, it doesn't mean that there's not a, a way to live. It's just 
that's what comes out of us. We're not following rules. We're living yielded to the Holy Spirit, and that's making a big difference in the world around us. So that's at the heart of the message this week. Awesome. And then uh, for worship this weekend, in case you guys are uh, wondering, we're going to start with the song Awake My Soul from Hillsong. We really like that song a lot. And then um, my wife really wanted to do uh, this new song with Micaiah, who's singing with us, called Getting Ready. Uh, I believe it's by Upper Room and Maverick City. They sort of joined together to do that one. And uh, the, if you go, I think the YouTube video is like 18 and a half minutes long. We've condensed that to about seven. Oof. So that, sometimes that's part of the job. It's like, well, we're not doing an 18-minute song. I don't no. care if my wife suggests it. It's just That would take a, you know, it's a, that's a set. That's pretty much the whole deal. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a whole it had set. It had to be a really so good song. It had to be really, really when good. When I was a kid, there used to be a song called... It's the song that... No, no, it was a pre-Christian song. Uh, Inagata De Vida. Oh, that, isn't that like half an hour long? It's you a long like three, song. three, eight tracks to I play or to, something? Uh, I had it on record. Okay. So, uh, and uh, you used to listen to it in headphones, and it, would, it was one of the first ones that it would travel back and forth it had in the, the headphones. stereo, the panning. Like, yeah. But that's it. We, we won't be playing that one, though. No, thank goodness. Yeah. And then uh, after that, my wife is leading Great Is Thy Faithfulness. Just random thought that popped in. That was very, you know, I get those sometimes too, but I've learned to, you know, yeah. suppress as many as possible. And then uh, my youngest son, Reed, actually requested uh, Rattle at the end. So oh, I like that. Rattle. Good. I will, if my kids suggest a song, I will do that if we already do it. <laughs> and, and it's it's doable because I think that's important that my kids get to, you know, sure. be a part. Got to so. bless your kids. You don't yep. want them to, to grow up and resent church. So. That's the set. You've got your appetizer for the sermon. Thank you guys for your questions. You can always log on to the site and submit yours for next week. Great. Uh, it's a great show, Dad. Good job. Good job. Thank you, and thanks, everybody. We, we enjoy doing this. Uh, and uh, thank you for the questions. It, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be a very long show without questions. No, we, uh, <laughs> we tried some without questions, or we tried to get questions live. And, yeah. you know, it was, Georgina was the only one that had questions. Most Ge- the Georgina's the, like, the, the most prepared person yeah. that we know, yeah. I would say. Two or three of those questions this morning were from, from her. See? She's, yeah. she's the best at that. Yeah. You know, I'm really good at pushing buttons. Yeah. Good. But uh, <laughs> as I push buttons now, thank you, guys. We will see you this weekend. Thank you. God bless you guys. Thanks for watching today's service from Keys Vineyard Community Church. Make sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to us on YouTube. For more information, log on to keysvineyard.com. We'll see you next time.